Well, as we continue our series called Encountering Jesus, uh, I want to talk to you about something that just amazes me, and that is that people who were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. And what I mean by that is that the people that were furthest away from God were the people that were flocking to him each and every day. People who were nothing like his lifestyle were the ones that wanted to spend the most time with him. And then even after his his resurrection, and then he ascended back to heaven. That was still the the pattern then of the early church. That as Jesus' followers went out and they were sharing this good news, people were like, we want to be around these guys. Luke records in Acts, he says that the early church, the disciples, they were enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And really, that's what a church should be all about. That's what you and I, our lives should be about, that people should go, man, there's something different about you, and and whatever it is that you have, I I want that, I want to be around that. What, What is it that you have? But yet, so oftentimes, that's not what we get, is it? Not just exponential, I'm talking about the the capital C church even, that most people, they don't want to be around the Christians. Why is that? Well, I think it's Pretty simple. And this is actually something that that Jesus dealt with in in his day and time as well. And this isn't even just with Christians. This is just part of our human sinful nature, and that is that we tend to divide people into us versus them. You know, there's the us, the cool guys, the cool people, the smart people, the good-looking people. You know, it's us, and then there's those people over there. It's us, and then it's them. This is deeply ingrained in us us, and then them. We do it all the time. We divide into groups, different people, and it keeps us from the mission of Jesus. Many times people, they take their own identity and their their sense of self-worth from the group that they're a part of. As long as you're a part of my, my group, then I, I, fe- I feel good. I'll give you an example of this. Somebody that will remain unnamed from here at Exponential, right? But this particular person tends to think that, like, all Penn State fans are, like, deranged and somewhat demonic. We won't say who that person is, but you see, we, we identify just in those very, very simple things. Simple groups, it's us, and then there's them, and they're the weird ones, they're the strange ones. I'll give you an example of how quickly this can happen. I mean, it's almost instant that we become us and them. There was a study that was done many years ago. They took a group of about 50 young boys, like elementary age boys, and they let them mingle together for a while, and they were all getting along fine. And then the researchers brought them forward, and one at a time, they would flip a coin. If it was heads, you went to this group. If it was tails, you went to that group. Now, obviously, it wasn't a, a perfect split between the 50 of them, but it was, it was pretty even. Heads over here, tails over there. And then the researchers let them mingle amongst themselves a little bit longer, and then they started to do some test questions. And it was amazing that, depending on which group you were in, depending on what you thought of the other people, that quickly the boys started to say, oh, the, the boys in my group, we're the smarter ones. We're the more athletic ones. We have the better personalities. All because of a flip of a coin. 
all of a sudden they started to identify with their particular group. Now, ladies, I know what you're going. You're like, silly boys. I mean, you know, we women, we wouldn't do something like that. Oh, yeah? It's actually worse with you women. Not because of a study, but because I'm a guy. And I've got to say that because it's us versus them. But do you see how, how quickly we do this? Us and them. We do this with politics. We do this with gender. We do this with race. We do this with all kinds of things. It's us and it's them. And again, when we get into that mindset, it keeps us from fulfilling the mission that Jesus has for us. Now, we even do this in churches. We're like, all right, I know what God is like. And I'm going to gather together with other people that are like that. And then there's all those other churches that do it the other way. And so you get these debates. Is it hymns and an organ? Or is it drums and electric guitars? Is it pews or is it chairs? Is it suits and ties and dresses? Or is it jeans and a t-shirt? And all of a sudden it becomes us. And then there's them. See, the mistake that we've made is this. God made us in his image, but then what we do is we try to make God into our image. And so, therefore, what we assume is that the things that I like must be the things that God likes. The things that I believe must be the things that God believes. The people that I like must be the people that God likes as well. But see, it's the exact opposite. We can't make God in our own image. We've got to find out who is God what is it that he likes? What is it that he wants us to do? And then do those things. And who is the people that God likes? Well, thankfully for us, we know exactly who that is because Jesus was God in the flesh. So we just got to look at the life of Jesus to find out who is it that he likes. And Jesus kept insisting over and over and over again that God loves all people. God loves everybody. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't behaviors that God doesn't like. I mean, we call that sin, but here's the thing about sin. All of us are sinners. We're all in that camp. There's the us, sinners. So we're all together. And so Jesus kept insisting that God loves all people. And how much does he love them? Well, enough that Jesus says, I'm going to die for everybody. I'm going to die for your sin." so that we can all be together and unified. So it's not us versus them. And so today what I want to do as we continue this series called Encountering Jesus, I want to look at a, an encounter that Jesus has with somebody that it perfectly illustrates that there isn't an us and them type of mentality. And then how that particular person's encounter actually should inform then how we interact with other people as well. So if you have a Bible here today, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, that's where we're going to hang out. I do want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us right now. You notice in the upper right-hand corner of your screen there, there's a little button that's called Talk Notes. If you'll just push that, that's going to take you to all the uh, scriptures we're going to look at today, the points I'm going to make. Same thing for those of you that are live here in the room. Just pull out your smartphone, your tablet, you can go to our website, exponential.church, and you're able to access all the Talk Notes there as well. All right, so let's jump right into it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, beginning part of the verse, we read this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
Now, here's the deal. In that day and time, there was nothing more us and them than a Jewish rabbi like Jesus and a Jewish tax collector like Matthew. I mean, that's about as us and them as you can get. And I've shared this with you before, that the way the Roman Empire worked, it is when they would go in and they would conquer a particular land, in this case Israel, what they would do is they would find locals and say, all right, we need you to collect the taxes for us. And so if you want to be filthy rich, you just get in cahoots with us and we've got your back here because here's what we need you to do. This is the amount of money we want you to collect for Rome. Anything you collect above and beyond that, that's yours to keep. And you can charge whatever you want. And if people complain about it, we got our Roman soldiers here. They're going to have your back. They're going to take care of it. So you charge whatever you want. And so that's what we have here with Matthew. Matthew's this Roman or a, a Jewish tax collector, and he's collecting the taxes for Rome, and he's just ripping off his people. And so the, the Jews, there's really nothing they can do about it. You refuse to pay your taxes, then you're going to get killed. And so they said, all right, well, all right, we'll pay the taxes, but you tax collectors, we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You're kicked out of our synagogues. You're kicked out of the temple. You're not allowed to testify in court. I mean, to the Jews, they classified the tax collectors in the same way they would a wild beast, that it was unclean. That's how they were seen. And, you know, there's a very interesting phrase. As you read through the Gospels, you see this phrase over and over and over and over again. It'll say that it was the tax collectors and the sinners. The, the Jews thought, you know, sinners are people, you know, murderers, you know, people that commit rape, adultery, you know, things like that. But then they said there's tax collectors and the sinners. In other words, the sinners were going, hey, don't put us into that group. You know, it, it's us sinners, and then there's them, the tax collectors. We're not as bad as what those guys are. And so you see this phrase over and over and over again, the tax collectors and the sinners. So this tells you just how low on the totem pole these tax collectors really were. The Israelites hated them, hated them with a passion. And so a good godly Jew would not voluntarily talk, eat, touch, or look at a tax collector. Just the way it was. All right, now back to the story. Jesus walking along, and he comes up to, to Matthew. And by this point, Jesus had a, a couple of disciples. There was Peter, James, and John. And, and who remembers what was Peter, James, and John? What, what did they do for a living? What were they? They were fishermen, right? Fishermen, when it came to the hierarchy of people in Israel, they were pretty low on the totem pole as well. But even they were going, at least we're not tax collectors. We're not one of them. And so when Jesus walks up to, to Matthew at this tax collecting booth, what Peter, James, and John, and, and some of the others that were there, what they're assuming is going to happen is Jesus is going to do what Jesus does. He's going to teach a little object lesson and go, look at this guy. Don't become like this guy. This just shows you what happens when you chase after wealth. This shows you what happens when, like, when you give your life to something other than God. That's what they're assuming is going to happen. That Jesus is going to say, don't be like that guy. But instead, they are shocked, stunned even, 
When Jesus goes up to Matthew, he looks him straight in the eye, and then we read this in the second part of verse 9. Jesus said to him, follow me and be my disciple. In other words, I, I care for you. I want a relationship with you. And, and Matthew, I think you'd be an excellent addition to the team that I'm putting together. I mean, everyone is stunned. This is, this is scandalous. <laughs> Nobody's probably as stunned as what Matthew is. I mean, it's not like every day, like, Jewish rabbis are coming up to him going, hey, come and follow me, be a part of, of my team. I mean, this is almost like, you know, us going to the state penitentiary here in Pennsylvania and finding a bank robber and saying, hey, you want to be the governor? I mean, it's essentially the same thing here. Sometimes it happens the opposite way, right? Sometimes our governors, they end up robbing things and they end up in prison. But it's not the other way around. Prisoners don't usually become the governor. Just absolutely amazing. And I hope you're picturing this scene in your head because until you realize just how scandalous this would have been, you're never truly going to understand what grace really is. Now, if the crowd was stunned by what Jesus did, they're even more stunned by what happens next. Because they think that Matthew is going to go into, like, self-defense mode. That he's going to put on his Rome-loving, you know, Jewish ripping-off, tax-collecting hat and go to Jesus, dude, are you serious? Why would I want to follow you? I'm rich. You're poor. I got a good thing going here. I don't want to be like you. I don't want to follow you. So just shut up or I'm going to audit you, right? We would assume that that's what Matthew's going to do. But instead, we read this in the last part of verse 9. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Just one single encounter with Jesus and it absolutely transformed Matthew's life. It was so, so powerful that he said, you know what? I'm leaving behind my job, my riches, my identity, my past, and my pride because I see that Jesus is offering me something very, very unique. Again, just one single encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything for Matthew. And I want you to realize it's the same thing for you as well. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done in your past. Just one single encounter with Jesus, a, a true encounter with the resurrected God can change your life forever. See, Jesus wants to give you the same grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the fresh start that he gave to Matthew. That's what he desires for every single person on this planet. Because we're all sinners. and We all need his grace. Now, I share this with you guys all the time. That when a couple gets married, I do doesn't mean I'm done. Remember, you've heard me say that before, that I do doesn't mean I'm done. That that's just the beginning of the relationship. And it's the same way with Jesus. When we pray and we ask for his forgiveness and, uh, and we ask for his leadership in our lives, that's just the beginning of our relationship with him. It's just the very start. And Matthew, he realizes this. And so Matthew comes up with this, this crazy idea. He's like, wait a second. If Jesus was willing to do this for me, maybe he'd be willing to do it for my other tax collecting buddies as well. 
And so he has this idea. He's like, what if I just threw a party at my house? Invite all my tax collecting buddies in. I'll invite Jesus and the disciples to come in. And maybe in the midst of that, they'll have the same encounter with Jesus that I did, and their lives will be changed forever. Now, again, Matthew, he's the new guy. And we don't read this in Scripture, but I, I got to assume that, you know, he was maybe a little timid at first. He doesn't want to approach Jesus with this idea. So he probably goes to some of the early disciples there, Peter, James, and John. And he's like, guys, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I'm going to invite all my tax collecting buddies over to the house. And, you know, and Jesus and, and you guys come in and, and we'll see if we can help them to, to come to, to Jesus. Peter, James, and John look at him and go, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. We're not going to do that. What's next? We're going to, like, invite Jesus to Playboy Mansion? I mean, come on. This is dumb. And besides, we're catching a lot of flack anyway. We, we're allowing you into our group. You want us to have others like you in our group? No, 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 no. This is a bad, bad idea. But Matthew can't get this out of his mind, out of his heart. He, he loves his tax collecting buddies. He wants them to, to, to have the same change and transformation he's had. So eventually he drums up the courage and he asks Jesus, he's like, Jesus, what, what do you think? Could, could you come over to the house? I'll invite all my tax collecting buddies. You come, the disciples come. Let's just see what happens. Jesus goes, that's a great idea. Excellent idea. Verse 10, and it came to pass, Jesus went to Matthew's house for a meal and many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners were there to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Can you imagine the conversation that was going on at, the, at this dinner table? The tax collectors are all together, right? They're like, look at how rich I am, right? And they're like bragging to each other about, yeah, I just bought a new chariot, right? It's the, you know, the 01 version, you know? And, and I mean, it, they're just like bragging, and, and they're talking about the people that they've ripped off. Yeah, oh, I got that guy for more money than you got him for. And they're probably telling some inappropriate jokes, maybe a little bit of inappropriate language. Occasionally, they catch themselves, and they're like, oh, sorry, Rabbi, I didn't, didn't mean to say that. I know that because, and they can tell you this, we, we get this all the time as pastors, right, that people are like, you know, they'll say all kinds of things, and then they realize, oh, sorry, pastor, I said this, and it's like, don't apologize to me, I'm not the one, you know, but that, that's probably what's happening here, you know, they're, they're doing all types of things in this whole conversation with Jesus at this dinner table, and Jesus is loving it, he's taking it all in, because Jesus wasn't an us versus them guy, Jesus was a you matter to God and you matter to me type of guy. The story isn't done. Word gets out about this little party that's been thrown. And in verse 11, we read this. But when the what? Who shows up? But when the, our old friends, the Pharisees. But when the Pharisees, I lost my place there. Where am I? Uh, verse 11, right? Yep, there it is. Uh, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such what? Scum. The Pharisees assume that there's us, the godly, and then there's the them, the ungodly, especially the tax collectors. They're just a bunch of scum. Us versus them. Verses 12 and 13. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Go and learn what the scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others. I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite 
sinners. Jesus makes it very, very, very clear here. There isn't an us versus them. He wants everybody to be a part of us. And Jesus says, my mission was to come not for people who already think that they're connected to God, but for the people who are disconnected from God. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus had this particular conversation with the Pharisees. We read it in in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Luke records this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, if you know what happens after this here in Luke 15, Jesus does something that he doesn't do at any other time in all of his ministry, at least that we have recorded. And that is that he tells not just one story, not two stories, but three stories back to back to back that all illustrate the same point. Jesus tells three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. We call it the prodigal son. And in each of the stories, there's something similar that happens. First of all, something of great value winds up missing. Right? To a shepherd who has 100 sheep, when one of them goes off, that, that's you know, 1% of all of his income. And so when it, it leaves the flock, that matters to him. Oh, a woman who only has 10 coins to her name, when she loses one of the coins, that's 10% of all of her income, of her wealth. So that matters to her. And for a father who has two sons and one of them goes running away into a, a, a wild life of debauchery, that lost son, that matters to him. And so in each story, something of great value winds up missing. And then the second theme that we see in each of the stories is that once something was missing, an all-out search is then made for that which was missing. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one, like we just sang in the song. The the woman, she she sweeps her house clean until she finds the coin. And the the father, he's he's looking out, he's praying, and every day he's, he's just... God, please bring my son back. And he's staring off into the distance, into the road where his son had left, just praying that he returns. And, of course, in each one of the stories, the sheep is found, the coin is found, the son returns. That which was lost has now been found. Jesus says this, that that's what our lives should be about. That life isn't an us versus them. It's about the lost and the found. It's about the searchers and the search ease. Jesus wants you to know that once you've encountered him, that is, once you've asked for his forgiveness in your life and his leadership in your life, that your job now is to join him in an all-out search effort until that which has been lost has been found. And what is lost? We're lost. All of us are sinners. We're all lost. And our job, once we've been found, is to join Jesus in that search effort, that that rescue effort. Jesus loved all people. The Romans, the Gentiles, the lepers, the demon-possessed, prostitutes, even loved the thief hanging on the cross next to him. And we too should love all people. Whether they're Christians or not, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, young or old, rich or poor, people of every skin color, people with tattoos and piercings. We should love the addicts and the homeless, 
people that are straight, gay, trans, people still trying to figure out what they are. We should love Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Jews. We should love the married and the divorced. We should love skeptics and atheists. Now, again, that doesn't mean that Jesus agrees with all those lifestyles. He doesn't agree with all those choices. He doesn't necessarily agree with all those religions either. But what he does do is this. He loves all people, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done, no matter what they believe. He loves them, and he wants every single person to come into a relationship with him. He wants every single person to have that encounter where they see that he is different than everybody else. And so we've got to love all people. Our job isn't just to stand on the street corner, pointing our finger at people, yelling at them that they're going to hell. Our job is to love them and show them that Jesus is different. To be in relationships with people who are far from God. And and love them in a gentle and, and respectful way. Help them to see that there is something different about us to the point that they go, what is it that you have that I don't? Because it's so intriguing to me because your life is so different. You have peace when I wouldn't have peace. And I've noticed that your, your language is different than mine and your thoughts and your attitudes are different than mine. You're like generous to everybody. You love everybody. What is so different about you? And that's then when we can share the reason for the hope that we have inside of us that, you know what, it's not me. It's the power of Jesus living in me. That once I was lost, but now I've been found. That Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers new leadership. He offers a a, a fresh start in our lives and you can have that too. See, that's different than just preaching at somebody. That's them seeing Jesus in your life to the point that they go, wow, I need that in my life as well. And so you just share your testimony of what Jesus has done for you, and then you allow the Holy Spirit to convict them and to transform them into his image. I guess the real point here today is this, that it isn't, you know, just, it's not us versus them. That's not what we're to be about. Instead, it's this. I put it on your outline. Found people, find people. Let me say that again. Found people, find people. Once you were lost, but now you have been found. Found people, find people. Again, we just sang it in the the song Reckless Love. That it's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that, that sent his one and only son to come and to die in our place so that our lives could be transformed. He left the comforts of heaven to come for us. And now we need to do the same thing. We need to leave the comforts of our own life, whatever that may be for you. We need to be like that shepherd. He leaves the 99 to go after the one who is lost. See, what, the, what Christianity is about, what the ecclesia of Jesus is all about, the, the church isn't a holy huddle of people gathering together in a room or online together. No, we are sent people. It's not about coming, it's about going. It's about going out and the lost being found. Found people like us. Our job is to go find 
people that don't yet have the same hope that we have. I've shared this before. If you had the cure for cancer and you didn't share that with other people, that would make you just like the worst human being ever. And what you need to realize is you have something better than the cure for cancer. You actually have the cure for sin. You know how people can be cured of their sin, so why would you keep that good news to yourself? Why wouldn't you go out and find people and share that good news? They're sick in their sin. So that's our job. Found people, find people. So as I wrap up today, let me ask you a couple questions. The first one would be this. Are you friends with people who are far from God? Or are you just hanging out in your little holy huddle and it's only Christians because it's us and then there's them, those, those sinners? Are you friends with people who are far from God? Here's another question for you. When was the last time you threw a Matthew party in your house? where you intentionally invited people in who are far from God. And you, maybe you did invite a couple other Christians as well. In the hopes that in the interactions, maybe God will do something. That they'll encounter Jesus in the same way that you've encountered Jesus. Now listen, I'm not talking about bait and switch here. Now, please don't do that, right? Don't invite all these people over to your house like for a game night or something and like halfway through go, all right, now I'm going to preach a sermon to you. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is you intentionally building relationships with people that over time they're seeing Jesus in your life to the point that, again, they go, there's something different about you. What is it that you have that I don't? And so throw some parties, you know, these Matthew parties. Maybe it's a game night. Maybe you invite some people to, to come over and watch the Super Bowl with you. You know, maybe for you, what you're going to do is, is you're going to have a backyard barbecue this summer. Maybe for you, it's a, a viewing party. You know, you, you, how many of you have a favorite TV show? You got a favorite TV show? All of us have a favorite TV show, right? And, and a lot of times, those favorite TV shows are ones that other people at work or at your gym. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, this particular show. Have a viewing party. Hey, come over to my house. Let's actually watch it together. And it's, again, it, the, the purpose of it isn't that at some point you're going to share the gospel with everybody. The purpose is you're doing life together with people who are far from God. And in the midst of that, they see that you have something that they don't. So again, a game night or a viewing party. Maybe for you it's a book club or, or having some people over to do a craft or something. Again, it could be a cookout. Whatever it is, go bowling, do something. Just intentionally get together with people that are far from God and watch as Jesus starts to show up and do what only he can do. Be creative. Become like Matthew. Drop the us versus them type of mentality. So right now I ask God to give you a new heart, a Matthew heart that says, Jesus, I'm so thankful for the encounter that I've had with you. And now I want to help others encounter you in the same way that I have so that their lives may be transformed forever. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for 
the encounter that so many of us that are, are here and those that are watching online, the, the personal encounter that we've had with you, Jesus, where you transformed us, you forgave us of our sin, and, and you sent your spirit to live inside of us. And so it's not just that we have the, the forgiveness of sin, but now we have the power over sin, and that's what transformed us and, and made us into these new creations. Lord, help us not to keep that good news to ourselves. And help us not to just get in our little holy huddles. But help us to realize, I've been found, and so now my job is to go out and to find people. And yes, a lot of times, those people aren't going to look like me. They're not going to talk like me. They're not going to dress like me. They're not going to believe all the same things that I believe. But it isn't us versus them, because it's all us. All of us are sinners, and all of us are in need of Jesus in our lives. So Jesus, give us the courage, give us the strength, give us the power to go out and do what it is that you'd have us to do, to, to leave everything else behind, to go and search after that which has been lost. And Lord, we know that in those moments, you have promised that your spirit will give us the right words to say. And sometimes those words aren't even going to be anything to do with scriptural things but they are going to come from a, a biblical mindset and a biblical heart. That we're going to be an encouragement to people. We're going to lift people up and not tear people down. We're going to in inspire people. We're going to come alongside and, and we're going to help people in their need, whether it's physically or emotionally, financially, whatever it is. And Lord, we know that as, as we're doing that and we're being your hands and feet, ultimately there will come that time that we can then open our mouths and share spiritually as well. But Lord, we're dependent on your spirit. It's not about us shoving something down people's throats. We're listening, listening, listening to the voice of your spirit. What is it that you would have me to do right now? And then we're just obeying. So Lord, help us to get out of the way. It's not about our agenda, it's about your agenda. So help us just to be obedient in whatever next step it is that you'd have for us to take. Again, help us not to be us versus them. Help us to realize it's all of us, and we're to love all people. All people. And ultimately share the good news of Jesus with all. Help people to encounter you in the same way we've encountered you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.